0: Right, the youth can be dismissed for Sunday school, follow the crew out to your left. And the rest of us go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter five. And as you're turning there, just a welcome to welcome everyone, good to see you all on a chilly morning. Great to have you join us for worship as we uh, continue and even ascend in our time of worship through the study and the hearing of the Word of God. Romans chapter five. Uh, we are in a verse-by-verse study through this, this compelling, excellent book, a book that uh, many theologians and believers throughout the centuries have considered the most important book of the Bible. And if that's true, then it's the most important piece of literature ever. Romans chapter 5. Again, we're in a verse-by-verse study through this book. Uh, started at chapter 1, verse 1, and we find ourselves in verse 15 to 18 of Romans 5, Just taking it one verse at a time, letting the Holy Spirit decide what we study each week as we go through the books that he has given us. And the title of today's message is, How Christ's Salvation Surpasses Adam's Ruin. How Christ's Salvation Surpasses Adam's Ruin. Well, it was March 2018 in Hillsborough County, Florida, and tragedy had struck a particular young boy. March 2018, a nine-year-old boy named Ronnie uh, experienced unspeakable horror when he had to witness his father take the life of his mother and his special needs younger sister in front of his own eyes. Uh, Ronnie's dad then turned on him, this nine-year-old boy. His father turned on him and he stabbed him 20 times and set him on fire. A gentleman, a Christian, a believer by the name of Michael Blair, he's a detective, still is, a detective in Hillsborough County, Florida. He was assigned to the case. And he was one of the first on the scene. Ronnie was taken to the hospital, this nine-year-old boy. Detective Blair was told, you know, in light of, being stabbed 20 times and set on fire, there, there's no way this boy is going to survive. Uh, by God's grace, the boy did survive. Ronnie did survive. And had a long recovery. Uh, prior to that, Detective Blair went to the hospital uh, and he visited Ronnie. And are you okay? Or How's it going? And... This this nine-year-old boy who had just lost his mother, sister, and for all intents and purposes, his father as well, he he grabbed the detective's hand and he said, will you stay with me and watch a movie? And Detective Blair said, you know, I'm, I'm on a case right now. I have to leave, but I'll come back and we'll watch a movie together. And they did. He came back and he and his wife, Detective Blair and his wife, were supposed to have a date night that night. And so he called her and said, hey, I have this case, this little boy. How about our date night is hanging out in the hospital with this boy, Ronnie, and watching a movie? So she said, sure. And she came. And that's when everything changed. Uh, in the meantime, Ronnie's biological dad was sentenced to life in prison. And so with no one to take care of him, uh, Detective Blair and his wife, who are, both are believers they adopted Ronnie into their family, making him their sixth child in their family. Ronnie's now living in this wonderful, loving Christian home with five siblings and two loving, believing parents. Now, as you think about that, there's no doubt that Ronnie lost much. He lost. Uh, it's unspeakable what he lost—the loss of his, his his family, biological parents. Uh, his dad was necessarily removed from his life and from society, and may God save him. However, by God's grace, Ronnie gained more than he lost. I think it's safe to say he gained more than he lost being raised in this family now, he lost a lot. But being in this family with two loving, believing parents, a believing home, five siblings, safety, a tender, loving home, he gained more than he lost. And that is something of what we see in our next passage in Romans 5. We're not talking about necessarily those kind of tragedies happening to us, or a, a physical adoption, but spiritually speaking, the text is going to tell us it's a very a wonderful, meaty, technical section of Romans. It's saying what the human race lost because of of Adam, the first human being, plunging us into sin and death and condemnation and ruin. We lost a lot there. However, for those who bow the knee in faith to Jesus Christ, by faith alone, not works. What we gain by grace, by our grace and the grace of Jesus Christ, we gain more than what we lost, way more. And this is everything. This is the most important message. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have a greater need than what the book of Romans addresses, and in particular Romans chapter 5. You have no greater need than this. And the living, the exalted, the real, God-man, exalted Jesus Christ, he has met your need. And it can be received freely by faith in him. Such that whatever it is that we lost by our sin and the fall of Adam, we gain far more. And and the point of this passage is to to show you that. Not just to show you that, that you'd rejoice in that. And and you would put faith in Christ if you haven't already and realize how secure the salvation is. Remember, part of the purpose of Romans chapter 5 is to tell us that the salvation in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sin, eternal life, real heaven one day, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more death, that that is secure, 100% certain, 200% certain for all who have put faith in Jesus Christ. And then the minutiae of that today is to show that what we gain in Christ is more than what we lost in Adam. So with that, follow along as I read. I'll start in verse 12 of Romans 5 and read through, uh, we'll go to probably verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The authoritative and sufficient word of God reads, therefore, Romans 5.12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the trespass of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Speaking of Christ. Verse 15. But the gracious gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God And the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one man who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the gracious gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. This is the inerrant word of God. All right, lots going on in this section. Um, Just by nature of going verse by verse through a book, we build, obviously, on On each passage, each week, Uh, the Apostle Paul, through whom God gave this letter, is like a very skilled lawyer, driving home a case here, showing how great the salvation of Christ is. There's a lot happening. Brief review to kind of get us up to verse 15. Romans is, the book of Romans is given to tell us the most important message in the world, that... Because of our great, 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 however many great, grandfather Adam, the first human being, he rebelled against God. And ever since then, we saw, we studied in verse 12 to 14, that two, at least two major things happened to the human race from then on. Uh, Our physical DNA and our spiritual moral DNA are corrupted. More specifically, we die a physical death, one per person. And spiritually and morally, every human being since Adam is dead. In that, we sin. We're fallen. We do not have the desire. We enter this world not having the desire or the ability to honor God as much as he deserves, love God as much as he deserves, please God as he deserves, give him reverence and fear and praise as much as he deserves. Matter of fact, we we go the other way. And we've we've been observing that if you're a parent or if you're in law enforcement especially, you see that the human race naturally is rebellious. experience is enough to prove this to you. The Word of God, of course, tells us what we already know. So our problem is not just that we commit and do some wrong things, commit sin and do wrong things. Our problem is that there is a real guy at the beginning of a real human race after God really created in a real Garden of Eden. And if you reject these things, it's catastrophic. See the message from last week online. You reject that, you reject death, you reject a literal Christ, you reject the literal heaven. This is a real guy in a real garden. In an earth, by the way, that was created in a real six days. He rebels, the rest of the human race is cursed. Inescapably, at least by our own works, we are in subjection under death, spiritually and physically. Spiritually meaning we're we're separated and hostile towards God naturally, physically. Death is coming on all of us, no matter how much kale you eat. Now, here we are in verse 15 to 18. And in and, and verse 12, you saw Paul starts out, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. And then he doesn't finish that thought. And then in verse thirteen, he says, "For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law." Verse fourteen: Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the trespass of Adam. So he, he has a parenthesis there, and maybe unfortunately to some of us, or maybe if you're like an English major or something, verse fifteen to seventeen is another parenthesis. It's a parenthesis within a parenthesis, and we'll we'll talk about why that is. Paul's not some scatterbrain. This is the Holy Spirit who who inspired every single word of the Bible, Romans included. So, what's happening here is this. Paul has said, okay, at the end of verse 14, so first in verse 12 to 14, he proved to us that through Adam, the whole human race is, is fallen. And then he concludes verse 14 And he says of Christ, look there at the end of verse 14, who is a type of him who was to come? In other words, Adam was a type of Christ. A type, the Greek word there has the idea of like a foreshadowing, a pattern. There's there's a parallel between what Adam did and what Christ did. We've been talking about that parallel. You noticed it in the passage. And the parallel is this. It's generally speaking, Adam represented the human race before God at the beginning of creation. See the last two weeks' studies. And his one decision, namely his rebellion, had catastrophic and massive impact on the human race. So his one act, Adam's one act, uh, as a representative of the human race, did a lot of damage. Similarly, for all who put faith in Christ, Christ represents you, if you put faith in him, before God. His one act of salvation, perfect life, death, resurrection, that has a massive impact on those who receive it freely by grace as well. So Adam, as a representative, his one act had a great impact. Christ is our representative. His one act had a great impact. That's the parallel. That's the sense in which Adam kind of foreshadowed Christ. But the reason Paul goes into another parenthesis in verse 15 to 17 is because he's saying, okay, I want us to be careful here. There is a parallel between Adam and Christ. But what they did is not symmetrical. In other words, there's a parallel in that Adam represented the human race at the beginning of, of creation. His one act had a lot of impact. Christ is our representative before God for all who put faith in him. His one act had a lot of impact. But Paul doesn't want us to think that there's like symmetry there. In other words, that you know, Christ is just balancing out what, what Adam did. Like, like it's some sort of yin-yang pagan mythical idea. Paul does not want us to think that it's like a yin and yang thing, yin and yang thing going on here, that you know, Adam did this evil Christ, is this good? You know, it balances out. We all kind of believe in the same religion, you know, same God, many paths up one mountain. None of that. That's garbage. It's actually not true. If you study the different religions, especially compared to the only true one, biblical Christianity, there's massive differences. For one, divine grace and human accomplishment as far as it concerns salvation. More to the point. So as Paul says, Adam was a type of him to come. He's saying, with verse 15 to 17, while there's a parenthesis, let's not go too far there. It's not symmetrical in the sense that Adam did a lot of damage, but Christ did more good than Adam did damage. In other words, when we put faith in Christ, we gain more than what we lost in Adam. Make sense? So they're parallel in the sense of both of them are representatives of the human race, and you, you're going to be, you're, everybody is in one of those lines. It doesn't matter what religion you say you are, spirituality, or where you're born or not born. You're either in Adam or in Christ, and the greatest need of the human race is to get out of Adam, which we talked about last week in the new birth, John 3, and to get into Christ, which is received by faith, a free gift. And so Paul is very concerned that we not just, be this like yin-yang thing Well, they're balancing each other. Christ is far greater in his impact than Adam, notwithstanding how catastrophic death and sin and condemnation are that Adam ushered into the world and we participate in voluntarily and involuntarily. I hope that all makes sense. If it doesn't, chat with me afterwards and I'll do, I'll do my best to uh, clear it up. Now, as I was studying for this message, this is a, just, if I could be pretty personal here, this is a difficult text to study. I mean, I was like, I don't have a lot of neurons, but every single one was, that was getting tired (laughs) and and used. Yeah, I had to like borrow some of my wife's neurons. She has way more than me. Um, But I I was studying this and thinking about how is it that what we gain in Christ is more than what we lost in Adam? Because from a superficial, just quick thought about that, I mean, we lost, there, Adam did a lot of damage, right? I mean, you look around, people are lost. Everybody dies. People suffer everywhere. You, you have all suffered and are and will in different ways. So this is no small thing, what Adam plunged us into, death and sin. I really, it's a, it was stretching because I'm kind of like arguing with Paul in the text as I was studying this, I'm thinking about Matthew 7, 13 to 14, right? And maybe you're thinking of that text where Jesus says, look, the way of death, the way to destruction, it is broad. It's a wide road. There are more people on that road to destruction, refusing Christ, than there are on the the narrow road to life. So how is it then that... What we gain in Christ is more than when we lost in Adam. And we'll see three ways in which that is so. Three ways from verse 15 to 17 that what we gain in Christ is more than what we lost in Adam. And, and so what about all that to encourage us in this salvation? That we would rejoice This time of year especially. Because this text requires the incarnation of Jesus Christ. A real guy. Just like the text requires a real Adam also. How is Christ's one work of salvation more impactful than Adam's one work of condemnation? How does Christ's one act do more good for for those who receive it than Adam's one act did for the bad? Number one. Number one, the grace Christ brings is greater than the death Adam brought. This is we found in verse 15. Number one, the grace Christ brings is greater than the death Adam brought. Now, the way that the text will flesh this out, you'll notice in each verse, it kind of does the same thing, verse 15, 16, and 17. Each verse will say, okay, here's the damage that is brought about by sin through Adam. Here's the redemption brought about through Christ. And then the text will talk about how what Christ did, how his redemption is greater than the damage Adam did, how we gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. Each of the three verses will do those three things. So I'll I'll attempt to dish that out and, and open it up. A tricky passage, but I think, when we dig a little bit, it's like, okay, that's pretty clear. All right? So each, each of these points is going to show the damage Adam did, the redemption Christ brings, and how we gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. Okay? That'll happen in each of these three verses. All right. Verse 15, look there. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For... If by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abound to many. So that that contrasting the but that begins verse 15 tells us that again, as we looked at the end of verse 14, where Paul says Adam's a type of Christ to come, Paul's like saying, but hold on a second. And we talked about that how they're parallel, what Adam and Christ did, but not symmetrical. Okay, that's why the but's there. And notice this. The free gift is not like the transgression. And then you saw this phrase, much more did the grace. And you see that again in, in, in verse 16. Again, that's showing that what we gain in Christ is more than what we, we, we lost in Adam. This much more, not like. Paul, Paul wants us to see, to see that when you receive salvation in Christ, you're not just being brought back to where Adam and Eve were in the garden In Genesis 1 and 2, you're not just being brought back to that. You're you're, you're being brought back above that, superior. Now, not all of that is realized and experienced today here yet because Christ hasn't returned and you're not in heaven, but it will be. And God wants us to have the eyes of faith to believe this over anything else because it's his word. Okay? So, the free gift is not like the transgression. This, the free gift, of course, refers to the package of salvation that Christ gives. The transgression refers to Adam's rebellion against God. At the beginning, the dawn of creation, Genesis 2.17, he had a fully outfitted world in Garden of Eden. God says, just don't eat from this one tree. And if you do, you'll die. They didn't quite know what death meant both physical and spiritual death, they go their own way. It's a transgression. This word transgression, it's an, uh, an interesting word in the original Greek. It means, it, it's, it, this is what the word means. It means you have a set clear path and you like purposely deviate from it. If, a, if, a, if the, the tracks in a, in a single track were to be put before you, you're like, I'm going this way. And then there's one will go this way. I'm going that way. A deviation from a set path is the word. This is what Adam and Eve did and what every sin is that we commit. A deviation from a clear path, veering off the good and clear path. And the moment Adam did that, he takes all of us with him. Adam was like a guy, like a lead climber on a high alpine winter climb. And he's got people tied behind him. And he's the lead guy. And, he, and there's a set route that he's supposed to go. And it's icy and stormy. He says, no, I'm going to go another way. And so he, he veers off another way, and it's black ice and verglas, And he slips on it and goes plunging over a cliff and pulls everybody else with him. That spiritually... Speaking, and the damage he causes is what happened when Adam sinned. We're all born in Adam. We're cursed. We can't resurrect ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We all now die. Now, some people, sometimes people and commentators have gotten tripped up in verse 15 on this word, the many died. For if by the transgression of the one, speaking of Adam, the many died, Because isn't it everybody in the human race? It is. It's just, there's no issue here. It's like if somebody asks, you know, in a small town, summertime, small town, summertime, says, hey, how many people were at the parade last night? Well, many. The whole town was there, everybody. Right? It's everybody in Adam died, and the many, everybody in Christ will be Made alive, okay? So that's the, that's, the trans- that's, that's the damage Adam does. Now the salvation Christ brings, look, look back at verse 15. Much more, there's that phrase, much more that tells us we gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. This is the salvation Christ brought. Grace. Don't let familiarity with that word breed Content. Very important word. Grace. Much more did the grace of God. If Adam, if Christ only brought us back to where Adam was, it would say equally did the grace of God. But it's much more that our hearts would be thrilled and encouraged and rest. Look, to think rightly about God, you need to think that God is a God of grace. Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Praise God for this word grace. That means great kindness extended to those who only deserve judgment, which is all of us. And the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. So this This grace, this word grace, it describes the whole salvation package that's received now and then more into the future through faith in Christ. Forgiveness, reconciliation, heaven, regeneration, adoption. And it's all through the one man, Jesus Christ. Christ is the hero. Because he decided, no, I, I won't leave them in their condemnation in Adam. Because he was moved by his own love and his own tenderness, I will come out of heaven I will be incarnate. I will come, in down, come down into this cursed world, this thorn and thistled world. Lives the perfect life, never complaining, always giving God as much praise and love as he deserves, the prototypical life of peace, and then suffers on the cross and, re- and is resurrected. Then with that, Christ ushers in grace before grace is closed. All of our sin, guilt, the torment of conscience, it's washed and quieted in the flood of grace. But how is this much more than what Adam did? This is how. So it's all wrapped up. You see the word grace, and then you see in in verse 15, that word abound. Much more did the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Those two words show us that we gain more in Christ than what we lost in Adam. Adam. So coming back, grace. The very fact that God is a God of grace tells us that we're going to gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. God has, here's the thing about God. We have to think rightly about him. Tozer said the most important thing about a man is what, what comes into his mind when he thinks about God. God has more delight in being gracious than he does in distributing his, his justice of judgment has more delight in that. How do you know that? One of my favorite verses in in the whole Bible, my two favorite verses, Ezekiel 18.32 and Ezekiel 33.11. Ezekiel 33.11. Look up this verse and like make a plaque out of it or something, or get it tattooed on your arm. Ezekiel 33.11. As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Good stuff. That's God's heart. And so that tells us, okay, there's going to be a much more. Well, then why does God judge? Because he's holy. Because he's a just God. And who are you, oh man? Who are you? Who are we? So this is a grace So, how is this much more? Because God, being inclined to to grace, overcame the ruin that we were plunged into through Adam. It overcame it. If you overcome something, you're stronger than it. It's more than it. Imagine you're walking down the road one day in, in a storm, and you see a child slip and fall into a giant mud pit, and the child sinks. Up to its armp- his armpits, and you run, and you throw yourself and, and down on the pit, and, and, and you're pulling and digging and, and grabbing in the mud. That feels like the mud's pulling it down, and you scoop way in, and with all your strength, you pull that child out. The very fact that you overcame the strength of the mud shows that you're greater, you have greater strength to do that child good than the mud did to do it harm. This is exactly why we gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. The fact that grace overcame our ruin. We're brought out of the pit. So we gain more. Adam's one act certainly brought a great force to plunge us into death, sin, and condemnation. However, the grace of God overcomes that. And we'll see that in verse 20, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Speaking of the word abound, end of verse 15... It's abounding grace. The, the Greek word means more than what is needed for the moment. More than enough to accomplish the task for which it sets out. So the grace of God, this is why it's just foolishness to think that one, a, a Christian can lose their salvation because it's an abounding grace. It's more than enough. to settle our forgiveness of sins, our status before God. So this is why we gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. Also, the very fact that God decided to be gracious when we were his sworn enemies, as Romans 5.8 and 5.10 said. That shows us we gain more. That status and enemies, that was our, you know, we were card-carrying enemies of God. As God's grace comes and and, and overcomes our depraved position, changes us. We deserve God's justice. If God would have punished us, it would have been simply justice. However, in God saving us, it's God withholding justice from us And telling his son, you will receive the justice for sins you did not commit and a fall you did not cause so that those who put faith in Christ will receive grace which they do not deserve and they did not cause and they did not work for. Christ worked for it on the cross. We receive the blessing we did not deserve, forgiveness, justification, redemption, eternal life. Christ receives the curse he did not deserve. Therefore, it's an abounding grace, and we gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. Number two. Number two, the justification Christ brings is greater than the condemnation Adam brought. Number two, the justification Christ brings is greater than the condemnation Adam brought, verse 16. The justification, that word, we've been studying a lot since Romans 3.21. Now, remember in each verse, the damage Adam caused, the redemption Christ brings, and how it's greater than what we lost. So look at verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. So again, this is showing what we gain in Christ is more than what we lost in Adam. It's not like, the gift is not like that which came through the one sin. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, the gracious gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. One of the most important words a Christian needs to know. Justification, to be declared righteous by a double imputation. So the damage Adam caused, verse 16, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. Man, it's amazing how holy God is and how inclined the human race is to underestimate that. That's one of the reasons, by the way, the human race and I, I some of us have struggled with why does God, have, why does there have to be a judgment? Because we don't understand how holy God is. We overestimate ourselves and we underestimate God. And that's like the root problem of so many issues in, within the human race. Adam's one sin plunges the human race into condemnation. Studied this in, deal, in detail a couple weeks ago, Grab the message. But we have to come to terms with this. One tragedy of sin, even one, plunges us into this ruin. What a holy God, God must be. one offense to God against God plunges us into ruin. However, the salvation Christ brings, verse 16, look there. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. Amen. So there's this one sin, Adam, the ruin happens, but there's a slew of sins across the human race. What's God's response to that? I'm going to bring justification. You see that, that asymmetry there? One sin, ruin, way more than one, which would, I mean, would continual provocation of God, of billions of sins over the years. His response to that, I'm bringing justification, right? So we're seeing why it's much more. Tracking? And then that word justification, that the the many sins, I mean, billions God's heart moves towards, I want to do this thing called justification. And, and in this word, this tells us how a, a person who puts faith in Christ is brought above where, they, where, where Adam was. Okay, remember justification. It says this, that God, motivated by his love for sinners, when, when Christ lives the perfect life, dies on the cross... Fast forward, say you here in 2022, you put faith in Jesus today. If You haven't? There's this double imputation, remember, where God, the moment you put faith in Christ, not works. Just throw yourself childlike faith on Christ. He imputes or counts or considers all of your sin, even the ones you haven't committed yet, to have been punished on the cross and considers Christ's perfect life, credits it to you, so that you stand before God righteous. How does this bring us above? How, is it, how do we gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam through that? This is how. Because when, when we sin, right? And because of Adam, we're like, in the, we're like in the moral, spiritual, infinite red. Negative, right? Negative in the red. Forgiveness, imputing our sin to Christ... That just brings us back up to neutral, okay? Your sins are forgiven. But you don't have a positive righteousness. And it'd be impossible for us, to, because of our fallen nature, to perfectly live up to God's requirements, to perfectly fulfill his law. And because God is so benevolent and abounding in grace, he, he then also simultaneously imputes Christ's righteousness to you such that God looks at you as if you had lived Jesus's life the instant you put faith in him. So forgiveness gets you to like neutral, great, you're, you're neutral, but you still need that positive righteousness that's, that fulfills the demands of, law, of the law. That's the righteousness that's imputed to you the moment you put faith in Christ. So we're beyond. That's how we gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. We don't just have the innocence that Adam and Eve had. We have the righteousness in Christ. The very righteousness of Christ counted to us. And therefore, we gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. Number three. The victory Christ brings is greater than the defeat Adam brought. Verse 17. The victory Christ brings is greater than the defeat Adam brought. Verse 17. So first, the damage we incur because of Adam. Look at verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigns. There's the damage Adam brought. The transgression of the one, death reigned. It's stating pretty similarly to what we saw in verse 15 already. By the transgression of the one, Adam, his deviating from the path, transgression, death reigns spiritually and morally. You just can't say the human race is born neutral, my friend. Death reigns spiritual death, rebellion against God, physical death, one per person. Death is reigning. The human, human race is not born neutral, not born good. If we were born good, there'd be no death because the wages of sin is death. It's, it's, a, it's a lie that we want as a human race to flatter ourselves, which confirms that the fact that death reigns in the very lie. It's reigning, it's ruling, it's king. You and I don't have power to escape either, either of the ways of death. The sin that rules over us, that's a burden to us, even when you're not a believer, you lo- when you're not a believer, you love and hate your sin at the same time. Death reigns. So we need a new reign. This is what Christ does. The salvation he brings. Look back at verse 17. Much more. There's that, that term. Much more again. Again, what we gain in Christ is more than what we lost in Adam. Much more. Those who receive the abundance of grace, and by the way, receiving the abundance of grace, that's not. Oh, that's not like. Oh, is that for super Christians? Those who are like super elite, and you know, they're like moral silver and gold medalists. That's not what it's saying. That's the package that's given to everybody, whether five minutes before you die, or five centuries before. Because it's based on faith alone in Christ, not, not your moral performance. This abundance of grace is the package for everybody. And the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, not through us. Thankfully, it doesn't depend on us. Through the one Jesus Christ. This is the repair Jesus does. He changes rules. What what rules? So by faith, we receive this abundance of grace, grace that's greater than all our sin. We talked about this in verse 15. We receive the gift of righteousness. Talked about that with justification in verse 16. Again, you're in the positive, not just forgiven to neutral. You're in the positive as if you lived Christ's life. Because of that grace, because of that righteousness now, Paul is telling us, You will reign in life, not because of you. Again, he emphasizes through the one, Jesus Christ. What does it mean we will reign in life? It is the consequence of receiving the grace of God and justification. You will reign in life. That's the consequence. What is that consequence? What does it mean? The reign in life has both a present reality and a future reality. It's now and it's not yet. It's present because the instant you bow the knee to Christ and stop living under the delusion that, like, you're going to get to heaven and be able to match God's requirements, you enter life, you put faith in Christ, you have that forgiveness, you have the righteousness, you've stepped out of darkness. The present reality is both justification freed from the penalty of sin, and being, now until you die or see Christ, being freed from the power of sin and sanctification, which Romans 6 and 7 will talk a lot about. Life is now reigning. Sin is being put to death. And if you're a believer, like Paul will talk about in Romans seven fourteen 14 to 25, he's like, oh, man, even as a believer, it's just a burden still. But it is being put to death. So there's that present reality. It's being put to death. You reign in life. I mean, just by the very fact, just experientially, those of you, especially those of you who got saved later in life, you remember how sin reigned over you, don't you? Up until you were saved. Like you just, you're, as the saying goes, rearranging deck chairs in the Titanic as you tried to change one behavior to the next. And you became a more clever Pharisee. And then, Boom, when you bow the knee to Christ, it's like this stuff's being put to death now. And you see that in your marriage. And if you don't see that in your life, based on 1 John 2, 3 and 4, and 1 John 5, 2 and 3, there's a question as to whether or not you've entered the reign of life by faith in Jesus yet. So that's so you reign in life that the death of sin is being it's being mortified progressively. And then, of course, the great consummation of it all when Jesus returns. And as Jesus said in John 5, uh, like 27, 28, 26, everybody's going to be resurrected. Those who refuse Christ will be resurrected to death. Those who received him, this reign of life. And this is where really, really it begins. There absolutely will be a resurrection into a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21.1. And you'll reign. You'll reign in life because sin, death, sadness, heart failure, cancer, mental illnesses, murder, funerals, they'll be over. Talk about life reigning. You'll see it. You absolutely will if you're in Christ. If you are not in Christ, you will see a a different kind of rain and it will be terrible. But it doesn't need to be that way because you can put faith in Jesus. And so as this is the first Sunday of the month, we get to celebrate what Jesus did here in the Lord's Supper to accomplish this so that we can enter the reign of life and gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. Romans five fifteen to 17 is the perfect passage for this because, and it's the perfect passage for, for the Christmas season because it puts forward the fact that Christ, that God the Son had to become a man. He had to become a real human being to accomplish a real salva- salvation. There was a real Adam, we talked about that last week, who plunged us into a real death. And if you deny Adam, you got to deny that death is real, sin is real. You have to deny a real heaven, but he came. And so because death is a real human thing experienced in the flesh and in the body, we need someone in the flesh with a body who can overcome that because we can't. We have millennia to prove it's not happening. And to overcome sin and pay the penalty, we need a guy with the real body to come. Christmas has to happen. The incarnation is a absolute must. Sine qua non of salvation. Because you're real human beings, we're real human beings. The wages of sin is death. A real consequence upon real people. So we need a real guy who overcame that to come live before us. Incarnate take the penalty we deserve, which is what Jesus did on the cross. So the only reason the manger happens is so the cross can happen. Because God can't die, right? How can an infinite being with no beginning or end die? But if he takes on human nature, human nature can die. This is why the manger happened, so the cross could happen, which is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. And because he did, that baby was real. That man was real. That cross was real. That tomb was empty. And because that happened, you have a real salvation now. None of this garbage about golden plates with some goofy Egyptian language that nobody can verify. None of this. Or a, a, a fictitious Brahmin that nothing, nobody can verify. Nothing like that. A real man that came. And lived a righteous life under the burden of sin. As this life is difficult and experiencing it all as he did, tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. And if you would have been there that day and looked at the cross, you would have smelt the blood. And it would have just been horrific. And because that happened in history, because he's such a loving God, a God of grace we have assurance now that you will reign in life. Though you look around you now and it's like, I'm just tired of how sin and death seem to reign. So the Lord's table is a, remind us, a reminder, a visual, a uh, uh, preaches to us. By the way, in First Corinthians 11, when Paul's talking about the, the Lord's table, he said this, this preaches the death of Christ until he returns. Where's his body now? It's in heaven. In heaven. So the, the, the bread represents the, his body. The, the cup represents his blood that was spilled. Uh, this is memorial. You don't go to heaven because you ingest some grape juice or whatever. Nevertheless, it's highly significant because it's a command. And in taking it, the reason we ingest it, one reason at least, is to symbolize this union we, we state and preach to ourselves and say to everyone around us and to God that as I, by taking this cup and this bread, I'm saying, I am sinful, I deserve hell, I deserve the justice of God, but by faith in Christ, not my works, uniting myself, as if taking in Christ, uniting, becoming one with him, I know by his works, not mine, by his righteousness, not mine, I'm saved. So we'll give you a little time Uh, This is a time to just thank God, ask his forgiveness. If you're not a believer and have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and you refuse the love of God, you refuse to put faith in Christ, don't, don't come and partake of this. This isn't like a, you know, jumping through religious fiery hoops just to do something. However, the good news is, is Romans 10, 13 says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you can call on him and be saved this moment and then come and partake for real. And please do that if you haven't been saved. And if you have bowed the knee to Christ, and like all of us do, everybody struggles, and maybe you have uh, something against somebody, some sin you're unwilling to to confess to God, again, please don't partake. 1 Corinthians 11 instructs us, because that would be to blaspheme the cross but it doesn't have to be that way. We can confess it to God right now. Ask his forgiveness. Receive his forgiveness freely. Know that we will reign in life on the virtues and the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. And you can come and partake. We'll have the musicians come up. Take, take whatever time you need. Come grab the bread and the cup. And then uh, I'll kind of direct us and we'll take it together.